Several uh, years ago, we got rid of a couch and a love seat. Now, part of the process when you get rid of a couch and a love seat is that you decide that you're going to clean it out. And to me, on the outside, both the couch and the love seat looked pretty good. In fact, I wondered, why should we get rid of these? And, and the truth is, if you want to know something about our household, uh, I'm never the one who says, hey, I've got an idea, let's buy new furniture. That's always, that's always Lisa's thing. And um, I always am pretty comfortable with what we have. I, I feel like, hey, it's already broken in, let's go ahead and, and use it. In fact, I have a pillow that I've had since I was in high school, and uh, Lisa's tried several times to get rid of that thing. But anyway, I, we got rid of this couch and this love seat, and in the process of getting rid of them, we decided that we should see what's under the cushions. Now, keep in mind, this was the couch and love seat that were down in our love, lower level of the house, which is where the kids were. Now, I want to just say to you right now, if you ever decide to lift the cushions of your recliners or couch, take a moment to prepare your heart for the horrors that you are about to experience. Because, I mean, if you're like us, you're going to find M&Ms, quesadillas, pizza crust, and Ebola um, right below the seats of the couch. And here's the thing. For a long time, we were sitting on that stuff. On the surface, it looked good. You know, the couch looked good, but deep in the cracks was all of that junk. It looked good on the surface, but not deep down. Now, there are many of us in this room who are really trying to look good on the outside, but we're really not when you go below the surface. You know, we put great pictures on social media. We look good on Facebook and Instagram, but deep down underneath the cushions, there's a mess, right? Deep down on the inside, many of us are hurting. Many of us are in pain, and maybe your closest friends don't even know it. Maybe your spouse doesn't even realize it. For many of you, what is under the cushions is your past, and beneath the surface are old hurts or regrets or failures. And listen, if you can't let go of your past, you'll never be able to move into the future. Some of you in this room who are are tied to the present, we walk in here, we bring our trials, we bring our troubles, our hurts, but we try to hide things. We keep them down deep in the cracks where nobody sees them. Because we don't want anybody else to know what's really going on. And you're having a relational challenge or a family challenge or a financial hardship or a crisis that nobody knows about and it's holding you down. Listen, friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, I want you to hear me that Jesus did not die on the cross, a brutal death and rise from the grave so that you could live the rest of your life hiding. Jesus died so that you could be forgiven and free. He died so that you could put your past behind you and so that you could live at peace in your present. And uh, for others of you today who maybe you don't yet have belief in Jesus, you're questioning or you're seeking him out. Can I just say, I want you to understand right now that what we understand about the heart of God is this, he is really good at do-overs. He is really good at being a forgiver and a lover of our soul. And so today, this message is for all of you who deep down in the cracks of your life, who have things that are messy, realize that you need help. And we are in a series called The Chosen, and today we're going to look at one of the characters that encountered Jesus. And some of these characters, their stories are positive and life-changing. Others of them, they have a negative story, but all of them uh, sort of 
seem to have something in them that is like us. And today, that's like this guy. We're going to talk about the thief on the cross. And out of all of the messages, all the years that I've given messages, I have never, I've never given a message, a full message on the thief on the cross. I've alluded to him, but I have never given a full message on him. But today, we're going to look at his story and see how it applies to our life. Listen to Luke chapter 23. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him, with Jesus, to be executed. And when they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the, other, along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And verse 39 says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And today we're going to look at this guy's story and we're going to see some aspects in his life and how they apply to our life. And the first thing we notice about him is that he's a rebel, He's a rebel. I know that because Matthew 27, verse 44 says, In the same way, the rebels that were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Both of the men who were crucified with Jesus were hurling insults at him, and both of them were called rebels. The English Standard Version of the Bible says they were both robbers. Now, in the Old Testament, in, in, in uh, Exodus chapter 22, teaches us that Jewish people were not incarcerated for nonviolent crimes. And so this guy must have done something more than just rob. He, he maybe was someone who was causing an insurrection against Roman authorities, or maybe if he was robbing somebody, he also killed somebody. We don't know fully his story, but we know that he acknowledged that he deserved his punishment. And here he was paying his debt to society, and he was to die by crucifixion by the Romans. Now, he's a rebel. And friends, there's a sense in which every person in this room is a rebel. Every one of us have messes. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. If you don't believe me that we all have junk, then let's just take a walk through some of the most basic commandments of God, the Ten Commandments, and let's see how you're doing today, okay? First, honor your father and mother. You ever disobeyed your parents? You ever rebel against one of their rules? Did you ever stay out past curfew, sneak out of a bedroom window, or talk back to them? If you have, you've broken one of the Ten Commandments. How about you shall not steal? You ever taken something that didn't belong to you? Did you ever take something from a store that you didn't buy? Did you ever take an answer off a classmate's test in school? Did you ever download a song that you didn't pay for? If you have, you've broken one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not give false testimony. Have you ever said something that wasn't true? Have you ever lied on a resume or an application? Did you ever lie to a police officer when he pulled you over for speeding? Did you ever call in sick when you just wanted a day off? If you have, you've broken one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. 
Now, that's an easy one. I'm assuming most people in here have not murdered somebody. Although, a few years ago, when I was preaching a message on the Ten Commandments, and that message was on the commandment, do not murder, I said something to the effect of, Jesus said, don't be angry. So today, we're not going to talk about murder. We're going to talk about anger. But on the way out, this long-haired guy with a lot of tattoos came up to me, and he said, Pastor, I've murdered somebody. And after I took a step backwards, I asked him what happened. And he said he had murdered somebody because it was a bar fight and it was self-defense, but he had to do his time, and so now he's out of jail. And you might wonder, what did I do with this guy? I made him the pitcher on our softball team. I figured what better way to do when I could whisper to the umpire before the games, you better not miss a call. That dude murdered somebody. You ever killed somebody in a bar fight? You ever hate somebody? Jesus mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount, if you hate somebody in your heart, then it's like murder. You ever hold a grudge against somebody? If you have, then you broke one of the Ten Commandments. And we could walk through every commandment. Have you ever committed adultery? If not, what about lust? Have you ever misused the name of God or Jesus? Have you ever put anything or anyone else before your relationship with God? If you have, then you broke one of the Ten Commandments. And James chapter 2 says, for, ev- for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Even the best, most pure person that you know has broken at least one of the Ten Commandments of God. That's why Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, there is no difference. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The criminal on the cross was a rebel, but so are we. Secondly, he was ruined. Verse 32 of chapter 23 of Luke says, Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. This is the utter moment of ruin for this guy's life. This criminal is on the cross facing the consequences of his decisions. And in this case, the consequence was extreme. He was at the lowest point anybody could possibly be. He was literally being executed for his mess. Like Jesus, he was going through this horrible physical agony of crucifixion, his hands and feet painfully nailed to the cross, his lungs screaming with pain. He struggled for every breath. His legs were knotted with cramps. His lips were cracked and swollen, and there was no relief, no way out. Some of you today probably feel overwhelmed. Maybe you are in pain, or maybe you face your own moment of ruin. But not all the pain we face is because of our own decisions. This week, I've been closely following the story of Kaylee Heckver. Her uncle, Brian, was a student of mine at CCU and is the campus pastor of First Church of Christ in Burlington, Kentucky. His niece, Kaylee, is 17 years old, and last week on Friday, her and her friend were T-boned by a drunk driver. She suffered extreme life-threatening injuries, including several lacerations to her forehead, behind her ear, and on the back of her arm. Her left ear was split open. She suffered a broken left clavicle, right rib cage damage, two collapsed lungs, cuts to her liver, kidney, colon, and bowel. Her spleen was ruptured and had to be removed. That was a week ago on Friday, but God is so good. Just two days ago, They took her off the ventilator on Friday morning, and by Friday night, she was up talking and eating pizza, cheeseburgers, 
and fries. They said it was as if she was a girl, a teenage girl, who hadn't eaten real food in a week, and she hadn't. Now, she still has a long way to go. This accident had nothing to do with her. It was not because of her decisions. It was because of someone else's decisions. My mom one time told me, Stephen, life is hard, but it's good. And life is hard. Sometimes we face the pain of our own bad decisions. Sometimes we face the challenges of someone else's bad decisions. And sometimes we just face the hardships of life because we live in a fallen and imperfect world where disease and challenges happen. But all of us will face a moment like this man on the cross. And notice his reaction at first was to be bitter. Matthew 27, says, In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults at him. At first, both of the criminals reacted with bitterness. Both of them taunted Jesus when he was executed. They were hurling insults on Jesus. They were angry. Maybe they had heard that Jesus was the Messiah, and they wondered, why can't you save us? So many times when we hurt, it allows us to be more sympathetic for people. It allows us to be more compassionate. But sometimes when we hurt, we look for somebody to blame. Pain can often cause us to blame someone else in our life, and especially God. One angry woman so bitter about the injustice of God said, God, if this is the way you treat your friends, it's no wonder you don't have very many. You know, sometimes our thinking gets distorted when we're in pain. And even though his crucified thief taunted Jesus, Jesus didn't lash back at him. You know why? Because Jesus understood. He was going through the same pain. And he knows that sometimes in the middle of pain, people can get bitter. And so maybe you're hurt and frustrated right now, and you think that God doesn't understand your pain. But friends, there is no loneliness. There is no physical pain. There is no emotional stress that you can undergo that Jesus did not under- understand. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, but we have one who at all points has been tempted just as we are, yet was without sin. He understands. But all of us, at times, us as rebels, can sometimes come to a moment of pain and ruin. And what will we do? Well, this individual, he decided to be repentant. Something happened to cause this thief to become a repentant man. Sometime between 9 o'clock in the morning when Jesus was crucified and at noon when the earth became dark, this thief completely changed his attitude about Jesus. What motivated his transformation? There's only one reason. He watched how closely Jesus had been dealing with death for three hours under stress. He he looked at Jesus and realized this is no ordinary person. His claims must be true. You know, you can tell a lot about somebody when they face hardship, especially death. He watched Jesus. He'd been impressed that he had prayed to forgive the people who were crucifying him. This man was impressed that Jesus suffered physical pain without profanity, taunting without retaliation, being spit on without spitting back. He heard the soldiers hurl insults at Jesus, but he didn't retaliate. Jesus' death was so distinctive that this dying thief on the cross realized this must be the Messiah. And I love the process he went through. 
verse 39 of chapter 23 of Luke says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you're under the same sentence, we're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. I think people who are repentant go through a similar process as this guy. The first thing he did is he realized that there is a God and that he should fear him. The dying thief heard his brother in crime taunt Jesus, and he asked him, don't you fear God since we're under the same sentence? In his dying moment, he realized that he needed to get right with God. And I see that so often. It is easy to be self-sufficient when you're young and invincible. But at the moment of death, when faced with questions about eternity, so many people come to that moment with a fear and a realization of the reality of God. There's an old saying that goes, there are no atheists in foxholes. But you know what? That's not entirely true. Some people get so hardened by life that they remain unbelievers right up to the very end. But there are many people who come to the end of their life with that realization and that fear. And the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. People sometimes say, I don't think we ought to try and teach anybody to fear God. We ought to teach people to love God. But respect is the foundation of love. The second verse of the song Amazing Grace goes, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. But grace, my fears relieved. It started with fear, but it ended with grace. And so the first step in repentance is to respect God, to fear God, to understand you can't conquer death on your own. You can't forgive your own sin. And someday you're going to stand before a holy God and give account for your life. And that brings about fear and realization. The next thing he did is he admitted his sin. He said, I'm being punished justly. He didn't just gloss over it. He didn't excuse it. He admitted, I'm a sinner. I deserve to die. And he realized his sin. And he didn't blame people for it. He accepted the reality of his actions. And so you come to that point where you admit it. God, I don't have it all together. And then finally, he acknowledged the lordship of Jesus. He spoke the name of Jesus. He looked right at the Savior of the world and said, Jesus. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. One of the favorite songs that we sing here at church is the song, I Speak Jesus. I first heard it last year when we were on a family vacation in Myrtle Beach, and we went to a church near the beach. And I don't know, my opinion, especially at this time of year, is that there should be, every church should be by the beach. Amen? Every church. And um, I was so impressed with, the, with those who were singing as they sang the words, I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind, because I know there's peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus till every dark addiction starts to break, declaring that there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus, because your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety. To every soul held captive by depression, I speak Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. 
Jesus, for my family, I speak the holy name of Jesus. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, save me. Jesus one time said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. This rebel repented and he acknowledged that there's a God. He acknowledged his sin and then he spoke the name of Jesus. And then he made a request. Luke chapter 23 verse 42 says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's interesting to me that nobody at the cross, except in mockery, addressed Jesus as a king. Those who crucified him put a label over the cross that said, Hail, King of the Jews. They mocked him. But this dying thief saw more clearly than anybody else the nature of Jesus' kingdom. Somehow, he believed that death was not going to be the end for him. He believed that Jesus was going to establish a kingdom. He humbled himself. He made what seemed like an absurd request to the other thief and to that cross, to the man on the cross. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He acknowledged who Jesus was. In verse 43, Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. He was saved. He was saved from hell. And when we talk about saving somebody, we usually talk about being saved from disaster. Thank you, you saved me from financial ruin, or thank you, you saved me from this or for that. But in this case, this man was saved from the very reality of hell. Jesus one time said in Luke 12, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. I will show you whom the, who you should fear. Fear him after the killing of the body who has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The worst thing that can happen to you in this life is not to die. The worst thing that can happen to you is to die and be lost forever in hell. Hell is described in the Bible as being a place of eternal fire, outer darkness, utter despair, constant weeping, and gnashing of teeth. And this thief dying on the cross was one heartbeat from hell, and Jesus saved him. Jesus said, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Folks, when you die, your spirit leaves your body. Just like a hand that is removed from a glove, the form of the hand is still there. But that which animated it is taken out. And the spirit goes directly, immediately into the presence of God. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So there is no temporary purging of sins. There is no place for that. Jesus already paid for all your sins on the cross. And if you're a follower of his, you immediately go to be with God. And this dying thief was taken that day to paradise. So he was saved from hell. He was saved to heaven. He was saved by grace. He didn't live a good life. In fact, he lived a horrible life. He, he wasn't saved by performing some spiritual ritual he couldn't even move his hands or feet. He was saved that day simply by calling on the name of the Lord, trusting Jesus Christ. Now, the thief on the cross is both a good model for us and not a good model for us. He's a good example because he sees the opportunity. He recognized his sin and he acknowledged the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's not a good model for us for a couple of reasons. 
But first, he's not a good model for us because he waited until the very day that he died to put his faith in Christ. If you wait until your dying breath to call on the name of the Lord, you will miss a lifetime of joy and service and witness. But more importantly, you don't know when death is going to come. You could die in your sleep. You could be so sedated toward the end that you can't call on the name of the Lord. One commentator wrote, there is one deathbed conversion in the pages of Scripture so that none may despair, but there is only one so that none may presume. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. The Bible also says, today is the day of salvation. Today. You're not guaranteed tomorrow, so don't wait like the thief on the cross did. The second reason he's not a good model for us is that he died under the Old Testament law. He died prior to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus himself said, I invite you into paradise. But after the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, we're told how we're supposed to respond to Jesus. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that we are to believe in our hearts and confess that belief to others. Acts chapter 2 says we're to repent of our sins and we're to be baptized into Christ. Now some of you might say, but Stephen, have you ever taken a deathbed confession where someone is not able to take those steps? Yes. I've gotten so close to the ear of someone who is even heavily sedated and I have said, oh, if you can hear me, Jesus loves you. Accept him right now as your Savior. Even in this moment, if you can hear me, I do everything in my power to try, even in the last moment, to have somebody come to faith. But I also do everything in my power to do what Jesus told us to do. Go make disciples and baptize them. Years ago, there was a young man at our church who was unable to move his body. He was 18 years old, and he had a debilitating disease that caused his muscles to no longer function. They became very rigid. And he said one day, I want to receive Christ and I want to be baptized. And we thought, how are we ever going to get this guy out of the chair and into the water? And so we went to the local YMCA and they allowed us to go into the pool. And so everybody was gathered around the pool that day. And, and here he was in his wheelchair and, and they had put him on a cloth stretcher with handles and so me and about six other individuals, we picked him up out of that chair and we brought him into the water. And I said, Chris, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? And do you receive him as your savior? He said, yes. And I said, upon that profession of faith, we are honored today to be able to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the gift of God's Holy Spirit in your life and for the forgiveness of all your sins. One, two, three. And he rose him out. And his face was elated, even though he couldn't raise his arms. And you say to me, why go to all that effort? Because Jesus said so. That's why. And so we do everything that we can, even up to that very last moment, to have someone say yes to Christ. You know, I've thought about that thief on the cross, the moment when he went into heaven. Pastor Alistair Begg one time also imagined it similar to this, that the thief on the cross, one moment was on the cross, and the next moment he was at the gate. And the angel must have said, what, what are you doing here? 
Well, the guy's like, I, I don't know. Like, what do you mean you don't know? He's like, because I, I don't know. Well, okay, the angel said, I need to get my supervisor in on this one. And so they go get the angel supervisor, and they say, well, we've got a few questions for you. First of all, are you clear on the doctrine of justification? Thief on the cross is like, no, I have no idea. He's like, well, do, you know the, do you understand sanctification? The guy's like, I, I do not know what that means. Do you even understand the doctrine of Scripture? The guy's like, no, I have no idea. And eventually, in frustration, the angel just says, on what basis are you here? And the thief on the cross just says, I don't know. But the man on the middle cross said, I can come. And that's the only answer. That's the only answer for any of us. Only because of Jesus. Only because of his death. Only because of his resurrection. But for the grace of God go us. We are all rebels. And we all needed a Savior. Every single one of us. And the answer that any of us will give when we get to heaven is, the only thing I've got is not my good works. It's not my good deeds. Because i got a lot of bad ones. It's only because the man on the middle cross said I could come. And whosoever will may come. God, thank you today for your love for us. Thank you today, God, for your mercy. Thank you that you invite people like me people like other rebels in this room, and people like the thief on the cross, people who call out, Jesus, I need your help. I don't have it together, but I do fear God. I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge Jesus as Lord, and I want to respond to you, God. I do believe in you. I confess you as Lord. I repent of my sin. And God, I, I want to be baptized as a visual representation of my own death, my own burial, and my own resurrection. God, today is the day of salvation for, for people here in this place and in this room. And God, I pray that there would be people who would come and would come after the service even and say, I want to make that decision. I don't want to wait till the very end. I want Jesus to be my Lord. And God, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.